around the age of 11 months, 12 months, we can see intake decrease. So with food, with milk, but definitely with food that your baby who may have been feeding and eating a lot more could drop in their intake because this has to do with just their caloric needs in general. So to avoid this calorie anxiety and this sort of, well, I, I don't trust it, like what's going to happen? Keep the schedule and then also make sure that you are offering the variety at meal, at snack, and then your reassurance is going to be those checkups right with the doctor you'll go for a visit you'll see their weight gain if you're feeling like in between visits there's poor weight gain you can always go in just to get a weight check and talk to the clinician but you are going to have that schedule be your best friend in terms of providing you the reassurance that i am offering my child this food and he or she's going to decide what he does with it but another thing is coming when it's set to come at the time Hello and welcome back to the show. I am Dr. Mona and thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode and for all of the episodes you download and listen to. This is what makes the podcast continue to grow. Your downloads, your reviews, your ratings, and also how you share this podcast with your loved ones and on social media. On this episode, I am chatting with a mom from the PDT community, Kate, and we're discussing toddlers and night feeds, sleep associations, and calorie anxiety. She has a 13 and a half month old boy who still gets a bottle right before bed and also at 4 a.m. And she is concerned if she can wean these bottles, will he get enough to eat in terms of calories throughout the 24 hour period? And if toddlers really need to be fed overnight. So tune in as we talk about these issues. Also, don't forget that here at Pete's Doc Talk, I am launching toddler courses in May of 2023. So if you're listening to this in April, when this episode launches, make sure you join our email list so you can get notified when the course goes on sale. And if you are listening to this after the first week of May, May 1st to May 5th, it is available for purchase. The courses go over potty training, feeding toddlers, so things like picky eating, food refusal, as well as another course on toddler behavior and tantrums. I'm also releasing an ebook on toddler development. So if you are a parent of a toddler, want more toddler information than what I'm talking about in this episode, you have to get those courses. It is going to be an incredible resource for you and I can't wait for you to get your hands on it. So let's get to the conversation I have with Kate about toddlers and night feeds, sleep associations, and calorie anxiety. Hey, Kate, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. So tell me, what is on your mind today as a mom? Hi, Dr. Mona. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm a huge PDD fan, and I'm so excited to be here. I wanted to talk to you because I am kind of struggling with my son who is 13, almost 14 months old. We weaned him successfully from formula to cow milk, but we're having trouble taking away the feedings before he goes down for naps and at night. Sounds good. And so how many total bottles slash cups of milk do you think he gets in a day? On a normal weekday, he gets one big bottle before he goes down at night. And then oftentimes he'll do one like early morning feed, like 4 or 5 a.m. to go back down. Okay. During the week, he's in full-time daycare. He naps there without a bottle. But on the weekends, when we have him home, he'll get another two bottles before his two naps during the day. Okay. And so one of the biggest things is understanding... Is this okay? Like, I guess one of your questions is, is it okay to still do this? Or do you feel like you want to eliminate it? 
I mean, we've been told by our pediatrician that we really want to get him away from the bottle within the next couple of months. And especially Mm -hmm. we want to eliminate the night feeding because, you know, the residue, it's staying on his teeth. Yes. So, yeah, my question then would be for the nighttime bottle and also the nap. Are we brushing the teeth after? Like, is there a bottle and then book brushing bath situation and then bed or is it happening right when he goes to bed? At night, the bottle is happening after the bath, but before we do a book of teeth brushing and a song. So the night bottle is not the last thing. On the weekends, I try to make it so that the bottle is not the last thing. But to be honest with you, sometimes we're just running around and I'm like, oh my gosh, we have five minutes before you're supposed to be asleep. So it's like a bottle and then like super abbreviated, like I might rock him and sing him before I put him in the crib. So does he wake up in the middle of the night? Yes. What time would you say? It's kind of in flux. It used to be like very reliably at 4.30, like almost on the dot. It seems to be shifting a little bit later. So it's more like 5 a.m. now. And we want him to be sleeping until like 6.30, 6.45 in the morning. So in order for him to sleep, what happens? He go back down on his own or he needs that bottle to go back down? He seems to need the bottle to go back down. So it sounds like, yeah, we have nighttime, nap time, start of bottles, you know, to obviously start the sleep cycle. And then for the morning, like the 4.30 or 5, we're needing that bottle to go back down until what time will he sleep until then? My goal is to get him to sleep to about 6.30. If you were to give a bottle at 4.30, what time is he waking up? So I'm hesitating only because he's sick right now. Um, He has a double ear infection Mm -hmm. and he's also 13 months old and he's working on his like 14th and 15th teeth. So there's a lot going on. So today he woke up more like six, but he was on a good streak before this latest ear infection of sleeping until, so he would have like the 4.30 bottle and then he would sleep until like 6.30, 6.45. If the bottle was a little bit later, there's sometimes when I was like having to go in and wake him up because he like absolutely needs to be out of bed at seven so that we can get our day started. Okay. This is just great information to have. And you are right that listen, with illness and teething, A lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is kind of when the peak of that is all over. So for example, the first five to seven days of an illness, the strategies I'm talking about, you don't have to listen to, you can wait till things are better (laughs) there. Same thing with teething, like that one to three days that the tooth is breaking through. Parents often say teething is happening for months, but I'm talking about the peak teething, like the gums, you know, it's breaking through, you're seeing irritation there 100%. Then we're going to give a little pass to all this stuff and just do what you were doing. Don't worry so much about any intervention here. One thing I was wanting to ask, which is what I'm not hearing is it sounds like maybe in the morning we're having a little bit of a sleep association that he needs that to go back down. We'll talk about that in a bit. What about naps? Like if you do give the bottle before a nap, how long are his naps typically? Because he's still on a two-nap schedule, right? Yes, he's still on a two-nap schedule. We're probably needing to change that like within the next four to six weeks, I think, because we're at a point where we are having to wake him up from the naps to ensure that he's not going to bed at like 9 30 p.m. or something like Mm -hmm. that so his two naps are pretty consistent at this point they're at least an hour i've been capping them by the clock not by the timing but he'll usually get in like a 75 minute or a 65 minute nap two of those on the weekends 
Okay, that's actually good. Because what I'm trying to understand, and it doesn't sound like it, it doesn't sound like he has a really major sleep association with these bottles. It sounds like in the morning there might be one, which we'll talk about. But in general, when I get concerned more so about all this is that if we're dealing with a child who is having multiple wake-ups in the middle of the night, and what I mean by that is, remember when we go through sleep cycles, right, including children, Mm -hmm. independent sleep for a child is considered a child who wakes up in between sleep cycles and puts themselves back down, does not need a Mm -hmm. bottle, does not need someone to rock them. That's considered independent sleep because I know that he's waking up in the middle of the night because every human being does, but it sounds Mm -hmm. like it's really happening in the morning, which I'm not surprised because the morning the sleep drive is the lowest. So right. to you, it may seem that he's just going to have a harder time going down. And that's why the bottle's being given. But this is something that we'll talk about in a bit. But yes, yeah, so I'm not surprised. I'm not super upset about it. Like this is okay. Because if you were telling me that every two hours at 13 and a half months or four hours in the middle of the night, right? Like from 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. till, you know, 8 p.m., 11, 2. If we're having to give bottles like that, then we got to really cut down because nutritionally, right. the child does not need this intake. Now, going back to your comment about do we need to remove it at all? The fact that you are able to brush his teeth after the bottle, like I would ideally like that situation. Eventually, you're going to get him on a sippy cup or a straw cup, whichever um, more advanced cup. This conversation, we're not going to talk about that. But in that setting, if you're doing the bottle and then it's like a bedtime routine and brushing, I'm not as concerned. I'd be more so like, yes, we got to get rid of that if it's right before sleep, meaning he falls asleep with mm-hmm. that bottle and that's what he needs. Cause then that goes back to sleep association, but it doesn't sound right. like it is a sleep association. So at 13 and a half months, it's not unreasonable. A child still wants milk before they go to bed. And I usually see that by 18 months, two years, you can start asking the child like in a schedule, like after dinner time, Hey, do you want milk before bed? And if they say no, yes, you can actually give it that way, but you don't technically mm-hmm. need to eliminate the milk, how is he eating in terms of food? Not great <laughs> is what I would say. Okay. What I would like for you to do is it's important to kind of have a schedule for y'all, like meaning a feeding schedule. Mm-hmm. At 13 and a half months, I'd expect breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner is being offered. I'm not going to get so much into like how much, because remember that doesn't matter. It's the offering. And then maybe the milk would be like a a milk between breakfast and lunch and a milk bottle between lunch and dinner or a snack. That's kind of makes sense to me to be a more reasonable schedule than having a milk before nap time. Because technically at this age, a child should not need milk before a nap. It should be like that they have your breakfast, snack, lunch, right? So a snack could be milk or snack could be an actual food snack at this age. Ideally by 15, 16 months, I want it to be like a food meal rather than milk. So breakfast, mm-hmm. lunch, dinner, and then they, you know, they have, you have your two naps in between there. And then when they wake up from their afternoon nap, they can have milk or a snack and then they have dinner. So we first want to set the schedule as such so that we have a routine. And then that does mean then, yes, you would want to eliminate those milk feeds before nap time. But the milk before bedtime, I'm okay remaining because I doubt that you're brushing the teeth after those bottles in the daytime. Correct. Yeah, we're right. not. To me, if we're going to eliminate anything, we need to eliminate the milk feeds that are happening before naps. Because that to me is more of a priority than eliminating the bottles that are happening before bedtime because that one is reasonable. First thing when they wake up in the morning or 
the first thing they do before they go to bed, it's reasonable for them to want milk. As long as it's not that they need that multiple times throughout the night, I'm okay with it. They're going to wean themselves off of that. But I think because you're dealing with food issues during the day and because just from developmental reasons, they don't need the milk before the nap. I think we have to create that schedule of breakfast, snack, lunch, and then wake up from a nap. So if you're on a two nap schedule, an example would be technically then one of those bottles could be like right before, but it would be like you do breakfast he can wake up and if he wants a milk bottle when he wakes up, that's fine before breakfast. But ideally, we're going to do breakfast. And then usually if you're on a two nap schedule, that first nap is happening around like 10 a.m. or what time? 1030? Yeah, like 930, 10 o'clock. Yes. Okay. What you could do then is that time can have a milk bottle, not because you're doing it for his sleep, but that's because it's the schedule right? Mm -hmm. You do like thinking of that as like a morning snack. So you do that 930 bottle, 10 o'clock going to sleep. I would try to keep the half an hour so that you were not creating that sleep association. And then he would have the bottle. He would take the nap when he wakes up, you know, he plays, it's going to be then closer to lunchtime. And then we're going to do lunch. And then he'll probably then take another nap around like 130 or two. Yes. Yes. Okay. And so then that's going to be nap time without a bottle, right? Because schedule wise, you're not right. And then when he wakes up, you can give him a bottle and then he'll have dinner later. So it's kind of creating the schedule, not based on his sleep needs, but based on like it kind of spacing out the timing. And it may fall Mm -hmm. that the first one is happening right before he goes down for a nap and that's reasonable. But I'm not worried that if you continue doing that, that created a sleep association or anything like that. Now for finding that he keeps waking up and needing the milk bottle to go down, then we have to eliminate that. But I would first kind of create your schedule, look at it that way, see if you can maybe move the milk to be, especially for that afternoon one, rather than it being right before the nap because lunch was just offered, have it be that he wakes up and he can, you can offer him the milk bottle when he wakes up as like a quote unquote afternoon snack, if you will. And then eventually I would like you to offer like transition those afternoon and morning milk bottles, the ones that are happening at 9, 30, 10, and the ones that happens in the afternoon, transitioning those to actual snacks, like sitting down with a snack, like a yogurt or whatever else that's not coming through a liquid form. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Because that's going to give you more opportunity then because for exposure to foods, right? Like after they turn one, I want us to move away from milk being the ultimate source of nutrition because after they turn one, they are exploring other foods. So I'm okay if you keep it as such, but I would start to kind of in your radar when he's feeling better from his illness and his teething to start to really focus on maybe one of those being now a snack time, right? So don't eliminate all the bottles, but maybe the morning snack, quote unquote, the one at 9 30, 10 is going to be a snack instead of a bottle so that we can start to transition there. But the goal is definitely by 16 months, I'd expect that he's going to be on the three meals and two snacks or definitely by 18 months for sure. Okay. Yeah. And then I want to talk about the morning, the fact that he wakes yeah. up. Is that a good place to kind of continue? Yes, I would love some thoughts on that. Okay, just to summarize, we've already talked about the fact that, okay, I don't think this is a major sleep association, but looking at your schedule, seeing ways that we can kind of make it that in our brain, we're trying to really not rely on he needs the milk to go down. I get what you're saying that he has had that pattern, but almost like Mm -hmm. here's the time schedule almost like how we would do a meal schedule. And I think this is going to be helpful so that you're leaning in on making sure that meals are being offered in a seated position to encourage the, you know, introduction of solids and advancements of solids. And then the milk is there because it's 
part of the schedule, not because he didn't eat his lunch, not because he didn't eat his breakfast, right? Don't fall into that at all. Like, I don't want it to be that he didn't eat his breakfast. So you're like, well, let's just give him a bottle because then that is absolutely reinforcing at this age that you don't need to eat here. I'll just give you a bottle right away. But as long as you're not Mm -hmm. doing that and it's a schedule, like, okay, he ate breakfast, he ate 10 bites or he ate 40 bites. Great. And then the bottle is going to come when the bottle's supposed to come, which is going to be nine 30. That's how we kind of create that schedule for them. And then again, you're deciding when and what he's eating slash drinking in this example. And then he's deciding if and how much of anything he's going to take. So he could eat a big breakfast. He could drink just only a little sip of the milk at 930 or 10, whenever you decide. But that's kind of how I would create the schedule for yourself. And then we can talk about this morning situation. Okay. You've totally tapped into like part of it with the bottles is my anxiety around like, oh, he didn't eat very much. He barely had anything for lunch. I want to put him down. I want him to get a good nap. Let me give him these calories so that he can sleep. I have a really hard time. Yeah. I guess, trusting that he's eaten enough. And so this is a sticky situation because your anxiety makes sense. I get it that you have that because of course, as parents, we want the best for our children and we want to make sure that they're nourished. But the problem with adding more milk into this picture, like volume wise, or, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not giving him an opportunity. And then that can lead to food restriction, right? Because we think, oh, he didn't eat. So let me just replace those calories with milk. That is why I love the schedule because in a way you're telling your brain there is a schedule coming. So You give a meal at 730. In your perception, he ate not a lot. Okay. So then now if you give a milk at 8830, we have now kind of associated at this age that, okay, well, you don't need to do what you're doing here. The milk is going to come when it's going to come. You could just fill your belly with that. That gets into a slippery slope of using a toddler's cues in feeding versus, you know, in terms of like, okay, well, you didn't eat. So I'm going to do this. We want to create the schedule so that there are opportunities. You are obviously offering a breakfast. You're going to offer that bottle. There is opportunity for him to decide what he's doing at all parts throughout the day, but it's not leading into this. Well, he didn't do this. So let me give it sooner. Right. Let me cater to this because then that, that leads to more selective eating because they know, well, I don't want to eat this egg. I don't want to work hard for it. It's not something I want to do. I'm giving like, obviously you're going to diversify the meals, but then they just will wait it out and drink what's easy right? Which is the milk. Mm -hmm. So milk should never be a meal replacement. It should never be that, oh, he didn't eat. So I'm going to give him extra milk. Like right now you offer the milk with the intention that it's time to offer the milk, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And no, it totally does. Just having it be schedule based instead of, yeah. This is part of our routine. And then going back to your calorie anxiety, I get it, especially because he's not eating. That's why I want you to really offer the variety of the foods on a schedule, really being patient with him. And is he self-feeding at all yet? Yeah, um, he self-feeds what he likes to eat. Right. So the thing is, preferences are there. And picky eating, selective eating starts very early, like 10 months. You know, we see that they're preferential. Introduce the variety, offer the safe food. Obviously, it's not the conversation about picky eating, but... When you have that schedule, that is in my brain, a way that gives you anxiety control and security that I am offering my child stuff. I have to trust my child that he will eat based on his cues. Obviously, if there's things like gagging that persists, if he's only eating one food group or not eating any, like completely avoiding every single vegetable for periods on end, you know, speak to your clinician. We talk about that, but we do want to trust them and their intake. And just another comment is 
around the age of 11 months, 12 months, we can see intake decrease. So with food, with milk, but definitely with food that your baby who may have been feeding and eating a lot more could drop in their intake because this has to do with just their caloric needs in general. So to avoid this calorie anxiety and this sort of, well, I I don't trust it, like what's going to happen, keep the schedule and then also make sure that you are offering the variety at meal, at snack, and then your reassurance is going to be those checkups, right? With the doctor, you'll go for a visit. You'll see their weight gain. If you're feeling like in between visits, there's poor weight gain. You can always go in just to get a weight check and talk to the clinician, but you are going to have that schedule be your best friend in terms of providing you the reassurance that I am offering my child this food and he or she's going to decide what he does with it. But another thing is coming when it's set to come at the time. Okay. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And then the morning. So in the morning at 4.30, he has created an association that in order to stretch myself a little longer, I'm going to hold myself over with this bottle. Is it the end of the world? No. Do I love it? No, because I know they don't need the calories at that time, especially after the age of one. A child does not need to be fed in the middle of the night. People can say, I swear my kid needs it, but they do it because it's there and they will drink the whole thing because it's there, right? But they don't need it for calorie intake at all. So what we want to kind of consider here is you can continue doing it and see if he weans it off. Definitely don't rock the boat right now with the illness and the teething, but then it becomes weaning off of it. And the weaning off of it is almost like a sleep training that you would do had it been like an infant, like if you're going to be weaning off Mm -hmm. a feed as an infant. So at this age, the options would be at that time, you have a cold turkey option, which you just eliminate that bottle. And we'll go into that. Or you have a, I'm going to wean it off. So with the weaning off option, it's a normally a four ounce bottle. You would only allow two ounces. And so he would get the little bit that he likes. It'll be the comfort that he's used to, right? He'll drink the two ounces. If he asks for more or like points to the bottle or says like whatever signs, whatever communication, that is it, right? We are trying to reassure him that you got the two ounces. So then it may mean that you lean in on some sleep training methods, which we'll discuss. So you have your weaning option, two ounces for four or five days. Once he's doing that, you can go to one ounce and then off completely because you're weaning Mm -hmm. him off of that. Now, if he does get upset, if he does cry, if he's waiting for that in both methods, whether you did cold turkey or whether you're doing it like a weaning method, then you Mm -hmm. approach it like sleep training. Did you do any sleep training or did he kind of start sleeping on his own independently? We did sort of a modified Ferber, but we really leaned just as heavily as possible on sleep hygiene. And he did a lot of it himself. So leaning on that again is what you're going to do. If you end up doing more of a training, I have a whole other podcast episode about toddler and sleep, but you basically going to lean in on consistency. So is it going to be that you're going to stick to the weaning of the bottle and then that's it? Or am I going to do cold turkey? And when he does wake up, am I going to do a modified Ferber? Example, am I going Mm -hmm. to check in with him, reassure him, and then leave? Am I going to pat his back? So deciding what it is that you want to do with those moments, understanding, like I said already, that those early mornings, the reason why it's happening is the sleep drive is much less, right? So we're way more lighter sleepers in the morning. So he's waking up and we want to try to give him an opportunity of not needing the milk, right? Because in our brain, he wakes Mm -hmm. up and you're like, okay, well, if I give the milk, it's going to hold him over. But now we're trying to teach him that you're up. We don't need to give you the milk. It's like eliminating this 
only few hours sleep association he's created, but he doesn't need it for nutritional value. He's going to do it because it's there. And so it is leaning in on the sleep hygiene. It's leaning in on, okay, if that's not working, doing a modified Ferber, which would mean when you hear him wake up, give him five, 10 minutes. If he's still crying, Mm -hmm. you go in there, you talk to him, but we're not offering the bottle. We're offering us as like face-to-face in situations Mm -hmm. where you're feeling like, me going in makes him more mad than you and your family. Again, I like to talk about options, discuss, am I going to just do a complete, see how long he cries situation? But that's why I like to give you to decide what method works for you to approach wakeups at that moment without a bottle. Like, am I going to go in? Am I going to pat his back? Am I going to be in the room with him until he falls asleep? And then I leave the room, like deciding what works for you and your family for those morning wakeups, but eliminating those bottles while it happens. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's up to you because you may end up deciding that, no, I only want to wean it off because again, with the feeling of calories, like you said, I totally respect that. I know he's not going to wither away. I can tell you already that children, especially even younger children, but he will get the calories he needs in the daytime. Like when he's awake, he will regulate what he needs, but also these nighttime feedings could be also why I know it sounds a little silly, but it is four ounces. Like it could be why he may not eat as much in the day, right? Like that he's getting fed at night. So we want to make sure that we're kind of eliminating that, but the strategy would work either way because I can't guarantee that you go down to two ounces and he falls asleep right away. So what do you do if he like gets to two ounces and then he's still awake? Like I said, you would approach it as you would any nighttime wakings, your family feels how you want to approach. Yeah. Makes sense to go into it with a plan. Yes. And the plan has to be consistent. The plan has to be when he's feeling better. I understand completely that he's not feeling well right now. So do what you need to do to survive the next week. Let's say a week after a week, I'm going to be honest. It's not teething anymore. It's just now his new habit. Okay. Like we blame teething for a lot, Mm -hmm. but teething, if we keep saying everything's teething, it's going to be pretty much for two and a half years. So yes, the peak time that they're dealing with the issues 100%, but then we go back to, okay, your teeth are out. I saw the gums, like the teeth have broken through. So once they've broken through, then we say, okay, time to now approach this with a consistent plan. Are we going to wean? down. You could do three, two, one ounces if you want to go slower, or are we going to do a cold turkey method? And I am not telling you which one to do because it just depends on your family's feeling. Did your clinician or pediatrician say to eliminate it completely? Or what did they say to you for that morning one? Yes. They want us to eliminate it completely. Yeah, I figured that's usually what (laughs) it would be because we know that they nutritionally don't need it. Even if they take it, it becomes a habitual thing. Like almost like me and you waking up in the middle of the night and going down to the refrigerator to get a glass of milk, right? You didn't need that. You would have been just fine if you never got that glass of milk, but you drank it because it was there. So that's what's happening in these older children. Under six months is a whole different story. Like under six months, there is needs, you know, the kid may need it or whatnot. But after one, we're definitely after, and including after six months, the nighttime feedings become more habitual than they actually are a necessity. Yeah. It's so hard because I understand that like intellectually, but when it's 4 a.m. and he's crying and I know he will go back down so easily with a bottle and I'm tired too, right? It's just hard to kind of like hold the line. And honestly, just to be completely transparent, you could do what you're doing for another month and see if he regulates himself. We sometimes feel like, oh, well, I have to eliminate it. You could give it another few weeks to see, okay, maybe he'll eliminate it and not wake up. But if it is just a cycle, in my opinion, if this is something that continues until he's, you know, 14 months for sure, let's say two to three weeks from now, I would be 
more on the side, agreeing with your clinician that, hey, this is a time that we need to remove the association, right? We Mm -hmm. need to not provide it or we provide less. Like I said, I'm giving options because I can hear from you and I've been there where completely cold turkey may not feel right to you, even though I know it's okay from a medical standpoint and a developmental standpoint, Mm -hmm. that's why I give the, the weaning option. But whatever you end up deciding, remember that if you decide to do the weaning, we want to be consistent on the reduction. So for example, if you're going like two ounces and then one ounce and then off, we don't want to like mm-hmm. night number six, you're like, well, let me just give four ounces again, right? You want to be very mm-hmm. methodical with your weaning, or if you're choosing right. the more um, cold turkey and I'm just going to intervene with a Ferber type method or whatnot to remind him about independent sleep, because that's what you're doing, right? You're reminding him in those early wake hours, well, when he is waking up that the sleep drives low, that you can go back down. You're going to be okay. So whenever I talk about sleep training in general, I always say from 7 p.m. till 7 a.m. or pick a 10 to 12 hour time frame, you're going to approach any wake ups, whether it's at 1 a.m. or at 5 a.m., how you would with any wake ups that happen during the night. Like that's kind of how you would approach. But the method is up to you or if you even do it at all. Right. Sleep training is not a requirement, but this is kind of how we'll teach him that we don't need the association anymore. Yeah. Since he was almost a newborn, it has been like 4.30 in the morning. I do think he will need some help to break the association. I did say, I mean, it like it snuck up closer to 5am instead of 4.30 recently. Like that seems to be changing. My question, maybe this is like too technical, but he has had chronic ear infections. Like, so we're going to see an ENT next month to talk about getting tubes. He's had five ear infections in the past five months. So Just for my own preparation, my question is, if we start to do the weaning, like you said, so we're cutting down to two ounces for three, four nights, and then he gets sick again, the goal is not to add more milk or another feed, right? Right. You can just like hold steady with whatever reduced amount and then get through the week or the peak of that illness or that teething. And then after that, start to reduce again. That makes sense? Yes. Meaning you're saying like, if he gets sick, what do we do about intake? Meaning, do I go back to offering at night? Yeah. Or I guess I'm asking like, if he gets sick again, and it's in the middle of when I had planned to do reductions, right? So let's say like I'm giving a four ounce bottle and then I cut down to a two ounce bottle and I say, okay, I'm going to do a two ounce bottle for the next three nights. And then boom, he's got an ear infection and his tell for an ear infection is he's waking up like in pain every two hours. I would start where you left off. Don't go back up. Okay. If you do the weaning option, and Mm -hmm. the reason I'm saying that is because I know he doesn't need it. Does that make sense? Like I know we're doing the weaning because for us more so than him. So I don't want us to go back and start all over. I would start with whatever you left off. So just say you left off at two ounces and he was doing great. But what I want to also encourage you is that when he's sick, I don't want us to fall back into the trap that you feel he needs night feeds because that's part of the anxiety, right? You can give water if you feel he's dehydrated. You can Mm -hmm. absolutely give water if he wakes up and needs it and he's ill and he needs that. But our goal is to move away from the milk feeds at middle of the night being, let's say, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So even if you were just say he gets sick and you're like, well, he's up, I need to give him milk because he didn't eat in the daytime. Mm -hmm. I don't want that to be the case because that's not teaching him and the pattern of we eat during the day. And of course, if you want to give water, I'm fine with water. But then, you know, also... We don't want to create future sleep associations with water. The water is only because he's sick, yeah, right? The water is right. not going to be like when he's all better. I don't want him waking up at 4 a.m. for water either. 
right? Because mm-hmm. you don't need that. Like you can wait till seven and or whenever it's time to get up. This is, I don't want us to fall into that pattern because of our anxiety and worry. Because yes, you can yeah. say to yourself, well, he's not getting enough. Like I have to give him the milk. We're going to focus on the daytime. Remember, he's getting so much during the day. That is where we do all of our eating and our drinking now at this age. So that is what we're trying to lean in on and teach him to do. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I have definitely like when he's been sick, given him, if he wakes up and it's not a time that he would usually feed, I've just given him like plain water in a bottle. And that's reasonable. Yeah. And that's Mm -hmm. fine right now when they're sick, right? Because you're, they're dehydrated, you know, maybe they have a fever, they're not feeling good. I'm Mm -hmm. totally fine with that. But then remember when he's all better with all this is over, we are going back to there's nothing that he needs liquids wise, milk or otherwise in the middle of the night when he's better. Like when he's all healed okay. with this like acute issues of teething and illness, that's what we're mm-hmm. trying to lean in on so that we're not creating any association with needing anything in the sleeping hours because he doesn't need it for calorie. Like I'm happy your clinician said this too. I know that if you eliminate all those night feedings, he's still going to grow on his own trajectory. This four ounces that he's getting at four in the morning is not the reason why he's gaining weight. I can tell you that much. It's the daytime. And I agree with your clinician that we want to lean in on the meals and the daytime being where all the work is done. And that's going to happen for you. Yeah. Thanks. That's funny. Like when you say it like that, like, do I really believe that the four ounces that he's getting at 430 in the morning is what's like making or breaking his diet? No, of course I do. But it's what helps him get back to bed and selfishly, it's what helps get me back to bed. I don't really want to be awake at 4.30 in the morning either. Yeah. And I will say it's short term. It's deciding if you want to continue that, but it's also if we eliminate it, it's short term activity to get long term mm-hmm. gains. Right. Like my son was an yeah. early waker, too. And we we did a Ferber method. He would wake up at five. I Ferbered him from five to seven. So that meant that sometimes he cried for 10 minutes, 15. And now mm-hmm. he sleeps until eight. Right. If I had never done that, if I had just let him wake up at five, and never ferberized mm. him until seven, he would have been this early waker because he was waking up multiple times, two, three times mm-hmm. between five and seven. So again, it's part of the training process. Some people are like, I can't handle it. It's going to be longer. But I looked at it as like, okay, if I do this for one to two weeks, then he's going to understand the rhythm. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, you go back. Remember, nothing is permanent. So just say you try yes. doing a modified ferber with him for a week, mm-hmm. at least try things for a week. If you hate it and you're like, it's not working for us, Nothing is ever set in stone as parents. We can always move back. You can always say, you know what? Let's go back to what we're doing. Maybe we'll try again later. Maybe we'll do another strategy. And then that's how that goes. So don't ever feel like it has to be this and it's over, right? Like there's always flexibility and pivoting that can happen. Yeah, that is so healthy and important to remember that everything is just kind of an experiment, right? But to it is. And that's why it's hard. It's like, and so much in parenting is nuance. And so much of it is why I like having these conversations on this podcast is I'm troubleshooting with you. I can't tell you what you're going to end up doing because that's not my job. My job is to say, here is what your options are. You need to think about as a parent what you want to do now of course i record these episodes with you all knowing that there's all a lot of different types of people listening to understand options right but now you have your options and you're going to say to yourself and go home and talk to your partner and say what do you want to do with this do you want to do a slow wean do you want to do cool turkey and that is how we make the decisions you know and my job is to provide the options and y'all can decide how to implement and be consistent i agree <laughs> yeah thank you for that it's really helpful 
Thank you for tuning in for this episode. As always, if you liked what you heard, make sure you leave a review rating and share the episode and tag me on social media. And if you have a toddler, make sure you check out my courses for toddler development, behavior, tantrums, picky eating, potty training, as well as my infant courses if you are still in that first year. Thank you for joining me and I'll chat with you all next time. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.